Remembering the great DJs of radio, it's Radio Greats with the live Luke. This time on Radio Greats, I am joined by a DJ who has uh, been in the industry for the best part of 30 years, working on stations up and down the country from Marcher, a key 103, Magic, Heart, and now with Happy Radio. And he also had a little stint as a producer on BBC Radio 1. And I look forward to learning a bit more about him in this edition. But before I do, Spence McDonald, how do I find you today? Yeah, you find me in the bedroom I had as a child um, broadcasting on Happy Radio. Thing is, um, I'm living with mum and dad at the moment because we're uh, out of uh, our home here in the other half and we're just waiting for a new one to be built. So in the interim period, in my mum and dad's, and this is the actual room I grew up in, uh, pretending to be on the radio when I was about 10 years old. And here I am actually doing it uh, in my 50s. <laughs> oh, well, Spence, it's great to have you uh, today. And uh, I, I believe this is, uh, I'm guessing, this is how it started with Bedroom FM. It did, yes. Um, I called it, my mum and dad uh, live on uh, Fairlin Drive and I called it Fairlin Sound Radio. And uh, was I was that, uh, shall I say, committed or deluded that I actually had stationery printed with, with the radio station logo on. It wasn't going to go anywhere, but... I just felt like it was a proper radio station, uh, talking to myself in my bedroom. My dad thought I was going mad as a child because I was sat in a room talking to myself. But, you know, as everyone who started on the radio knows, you do that. You talk to yourself in your bedroom. It's practice. It's good practice because, you know, even years later, in effect, you're just sat in a room talking to yourself. So, yeah, that's where it all started in this very room I'm in now, uh, pretending I was on the radio. And I've got to ask, was that how the radio bug developed? Uh, It was actually before that because um, I grew up um, in a place near Morecambe called Sline and uh, my mum used to listen to Radio 2 on the big gold radio stereo music centre that they had and you know it sort of washed over me a bit but a friend, uh, well not a friend, uh, my mum's sister came to visit us and she lived in Manchester and she brought with her a Piccadilly radio car sticker and I'd never heard of commercial radio before. And uh, I thought, what's this? What's this? And uh, when we went up to visit them in Manchester from uh, Lancashire, um, where there was no independent radio stations at that time, um, I snuck a listen and uh, I was fascinated with adverts on the radio. I'd never heard that before uh, with uh, radio presenters who were jokey and uh, a little bit looser than they were on radio too. And I thought, wow, this is fantastic. This is for me. So when we eventually moved to Manchester when I was about 11 years old, uh, as luck would have it, round the corner from us in Walkden, uh, the Piccadilly Radio Fun Bus came to the park and they were handing out stickers and T-shirts and things. And I thought, wow, I really want to do this. Even just working on the 261 Fun Bus, I'd settle for that, but I want to work in radio. And uh, that's how early the bug bit when I was about 11 years old. Uh, and as such, I started doing little tapes in my bedroom. And um, I've still got a letter that I keep uh, that thanks me for applying for a job at Piccadilly Radio from the then uh, programme controller, Tony Ingham, uh, thanking me for a demo tape, but they had no call as such at the moment for a 12-year-old radio DJ. But they'd keep my letter on file, and should such a vacancy arise, they'd contact me. And I waited in the vain hope that that would happen, but it never did. <laughs> Not at that stage, anyway.
So it's uh, September of 1987 that you achieve your big break in the industry with uh, Marcher Sound in North Wales. So how did the Marcher gig come about? Well, uh, I was a little bit of a radio anorak, still am, obviously, uh, and collected jingles back in the day. You know, I used to love the jingle packages, the one by uh, Sue Manning for Piccadilly Radio back in the mid-80s, I think, was one of the best jingle packages they ever had. So I used to collect jingles and uh, had no one to swap with. So there was a publication at the time called Record Mirror, and I put a little advert in there saying, oh, jingle collector, want to swap jingles? Have you got any jingles? Um, and put it in there, not thinking I'd get any replies. Well, I got a reply from a radio presenter called Andy Young, who worked at Marcher Sound at the time, and we swapped jingles through the post. And because uh, there was no MP3s then, it was all like physical cassettes you sent to each other. And um, he said, do you want to come and meet me in, uh, at my house? Well, thinking back now, it was a bit odd, you know, I was only about 17 and I was meeting a man I'd never heard of, I couldn't check up on, but I thought, you know, I told my mum and dad where I was going, they dropped me off at the bus station and I met Andy, he was the sweetest, loveliest guy you could ever wish to meet and uh, we swapped jingles and he invited me to March of Sound, he did a Saturday sports show. And I said, I don't want to do some uh, voiceovers for you. So he said, oh, yeah, go on. So I did a, a few voiceovers for him using the hospital radio equipment at the station I worked at at Lee Infirmary. And he played them out on the radio. And this was like a dream come true for me. I heard my voice for the first time on proper radio on his show. And he said, well, why don't you put a tape together? And I said, OK, then I'll do that. Uh, not expecting anything. But at the time, I was also doing on hospital radio a soap opera uh, where I did all the voices. It was called Lamford Square. And it was a spoof of Coronation Street at the time, uh, where just everyone lived in the same vicinity and there was a corner pub. And it was just a load of old jokes, basically, cobbled together into a script. So I included that on there. And Andy gave it to the programme controller at March of Sound, who was Paul Mewis at the time. And uh, they got right back to me. And I went, wow. Uh, they didn't want me to present a show, though. They wanted me to do the soap opera, Lumford Square, for Terry Underhill's breakfast show on March of Sound. And I was like, OK, I'm not sure I can give up uh, university because I was due to go to Poly, as it was then, Coventry Polytechnic, to do a degree in media studies and communication studies. And I wasn't sure I could give that up for that. So I told them that. And they sort of shoehorned me in on an overnight show that they had going. And I thought, well, if that doesn't work out, I could treat it as year out and go to Coventry after that. So they gave me the weekend overnights, which then became weekday overnights. And then they offered me the uh, 10 p.m. slot, which was called the Moan Phone. And uh, that was <laughs> that was the start of my proper radio career at Marcher Sound. Oh, am I on? Oh, no, it's three minutes past ten. Oh, I'm going to be late. Oh, no. Oh, God. Oh, I haven't got any of show ready. Ring the doorbell. Come on. Come on. Thank you. Hello. I know I'm late. Shut up. Oh, oh where's my records? Oh, stuff the records. Oh, just you. Oh, I've been late before. I'm going to, I'm going to be sacked. Oh, here we are. Oh, God. The studio's empty. Sam and Davis must have finished. Oh, where's my jingle? Where's my jingle? Oh, this one will do. This one will do. And if, you, if you're never sure, just keep negotiating and um, starting at March and um, 
you know, working with the likes of Terry Underhill and um, was Ray Rose there at this point or had he... Yeah, Ray Rose was there. It was, it was a good friend. We had many good times together, particular memories of the telethon, the ITV telethon, which I think took us to Llandudno or Rill at the time. And uh, Ray, bad influence he was at the time. I'm sure he's not like this anymore. Actually, I know he is because I worked with him on the wireless group network recently. Uh, we went to a pub and we turned up to the ITV telethon roadshow, a little bit worse for wear, uh, but undetected because uh, Ray Rose managed to purchase some uh, mints from Woolworths on the front at the time. So I think we got away with that. Yeah, so I worked with Ray there. I worked with um, Trevor there, Trevor James. And uh, Terry Underhill did the breakfast show at the time too. Well, it, it's interesting because ha- I've had both Ray and Terry on um, on a podcast before. And I, I remember asking Terry this about Marcher because at the time, that being uh, the local radio station it was for North Wales and Cheshire, there was, there was no real rivalry because it was in, in North Wales, it was the only station that served North Wales. Yeah, that, that exactly. So they had good audience figures and uh, there was no threat. Much like Signal Radio kind of got away with that for many, many years. They were the, they were the same in uh, North Staffordshire and Cheshire for, for a long time. But yeah, we didn't have much competition. And the freedom was there just to do what you wanted, you know, within the boundaries of obviously good taste. Uh, that said, I was actually encouraged not to be a presenter of good taste by the then managing director who was called Godfrey Williams. And he wanted uh, someone to present a show like Alan Bezik, who'd just come on to Red Rose Radio at the time. And he liked that shock jock thing. And he actually offered the late night slot, the 10 p.m. phone phone in slot to Trevor James first and another couple of presenters who said, no, no, I'm not doing that. But me being me, I just wanted to jump at the chance to do a, a show that wasn't overnight, saw it as some kind of promotion, which it was. And uh, he said, right, okay, I want you to be some kind of shock jock on the first show. I want you to call someone a stupid cow. He said, I went, are you sure about this? He said, yes, yes, yes. Well, anyway, at the time, I just had people ringing in and complaining about the bin collections and stuff. So I'd say, oh, yeah, I'm sure the council will sort this out soon, you stupid cow. Because I I thought, well, the managing director's told me to get this in. Uh, Lo and behold, her husband turns up at the studio at midnight threatening to... put the windows in and to kill me and everything. And it's like, it was an awfully traumatic time, but that's uh, how I got my kind of style of presenting uh, back in the day, which I like to think of honed a little bit more and isn't as rude to people as he originally wanted. Well, during the time you were with Marcher, what was your highlight? Uh, Getting off that show, to be honest, and not having to be rude to people. Um, Because I did get quite a lot of threats and and death threats at the time. And being an 18-year-old, it was a little bit scary. There was nobody else in the studio complex at night. There was no security guard. And uh, I got a bit scared one night when I came out of the studio at 1am when I finished. And my coat had been stolen off the chair in the studio complex. Somebody somehow had got in through the front door and taken my coat. And I later found out that the security was so lax, you could actually get in through the front door by slipping a a credit card just down the slot and it would open the door. So that was scary. I made all excuses up to Paul Mewis, the then PC, saying, do you know what, there's nobody phoning in. I just didn't take any calls. I shielded the calls. There was no way of them checking. I said, said, there's nobody calling in and it's not working. So we said, "Okay, we'll just do a strip show. Um, You just, you know, 
talk between the songs, do a few sketches if you want. And uh, and that's what I did after that. So that was the highlight, getting off that horrible phone-in show where I just had death threats. Piccadilly on your radio, you're in tune to the Spencer show. Now this is Piccadilly, just kick, kick, kicking. Hi, the DJ hi. name is Spencer, Kentucky Fried Chicken. If you was eating Piccadilly fingers, you'd be licking and telling all the suckers about the show that they'd be missing. Key one oh three. On your radio. Piccadilly, Key 103 FM, the best FM. After March, as um, we could say the Manchester scene is uh, starting to rise through Manchester. And as you mentioned earlier, you'd uh, written to Piccadilly uh, at the age of 12 and they um, turned you down. But um, the next step, stop you go in your radio journey is to Piccadilly Radio. Yes, it was. Um, I sent a demo tape to then... PC Mike Briscoe, who was a really nice chap, and uh, he said he noticed the demo because it didn't start with somebody doing the weather. Somebody going, hello, coming up, there's this, this and this. I actually started the demo with uh, what I did on an actual show one night. It's like independent radio news, it's two minutes past ten. And I was outside the studio, locked out late, and I mocked it all up. I took out a Ewer old reel-to-reel portable recorder, which was huge uh, back in the day, out on, onto the street with me and, and rushed in and mocked it all up uh, to the jingle start and then going into a song. And he, he said, I want to listen to that link. I thought, God, this guy's a little bit creative. Let's get him in, see what he could do. So he got me into Piccadilly for an interview, offered me a job, not to do any particular show, just to do fill-ins here and there. And But it was on a staff contract, which was like, wow. And at March of Sound, I was on the equivalent of about £12 a show, I think, um, which is about three grand a year. I worked it out, and uh, he was offering me on a snuff contract £14,000 a year, including holidays and sick pay and everything, which, of course, you don't get in radio now these days. So I like, jumped at the chance, and, uh, yeah, that was my entrance into Piccadilly Radio, courtesy of Mike Briscoe. So Mike Briscoe gave you your gig on Piccadilly, and um, given the fact that it was a station you'd always want to work on, can you remember your first show? Yes, I can, actually, yes. <laughs> I tried to recreate that moment on the demo tape for my first show on Piccadilly. So I got the portable recorder, which was a cassette one then. It, there, they were very advanced. It was a Marantz. And I took it out onto Piccadilly Plaza and mocked up rushing in. I hadn't told the receptionist, who was Pat, wonderful woman. She's worked in many radio stations over the years. A lot of time at Piccadilly Radio, Pat. And uh, everyone in radio knows her. Uh, I hadn't told her I was doing this. So I rushed in and go, hello, I'm late for my show. Can you let me in, please? Can you buzz me through? And she just went, excuse me, who are you? Because <laughs> she had no idea who I was. So I had to explain, edit, 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 and then I came in and uh, played as my first song, Can You Feel It by the Jacksons. I thought, oh, wherever I go in radio, I'll always play this song. I thought you, you had to do that. There was no particular reason other than the fact that I just really liked the song. Uh, and that was my opening song uh, on the very first show, yeah, on Piccadilly Radio. It's such fun to do, but yeah, Pat... <laughs> Who I've got on with enormously ever since then. Uh, she was the spanner in the works from a little recording for that very first show. <laughs> and um, am, am I right in thinking that by the time by the time you joined, was Piccadilly still on FM or ha- had it moved to AM at this point? It was just about to split. So my big claim to fame that nobody knows about, so you've got a bit of an exclusive here, Luke, is I was the last presenter uh, to present Drive Time on both AM and FM before it split. I think he was getting the other radio presenters ready. They were rehearsing in uh, Studio 3 for Key 103. 
and uh, I was the last presenter. I was, just, I was just a swing jock at the time to do that show. So, yeah, they were, they were just splitting, and uh, they had a show aimed, they wanted to aim at teenagers, which, funnily enough, was on AM rather than FM, um, called Fed Up. Uh, which I did with a producer called Sarah, and we co-presented that show, first of all, which was on about 6 till 7 in the evening when it split onto 11.52 Piccadilly Radio. So, yeah, that was my little proud moment, doing the last drive time on both frequencies. And now on Grotter, it's time to catch up with the excitement going on in prisoner So. This is boring. Let's tune to the radio. 103 megahertz. Piccadilly Key 103. During that time with Key and Piccadilly, as I said, this was uh, the time that we were seeing the the rise of Manchester and, you know, all, you know, Happy Mondays and all those uh, big, big groups coming out of um, the Manchester music scene. Um, can you remember? Can you remember that? And what was it like to be part of the, part of that birth? Yeah, sadly, we weren't that much part of it on our evening show um, because <laughs> we, it missed us slightly. So when the Happy Mondays came out, uh, we were playing pop songs on the evening show from the likes of Stock Aitken Waterman, having competitions to go and see Kylie Minogue and Jason Donovan on the Stock Aitken Waterman tour. Uh, so it took us a bit to pick up on that, but uh, it was Pete Mitchell that mainly focused on the Manchester scene uh, on his show and I think he just did a weekend show at the time, it was long before he got his afternoon show so he kind of focused on the Manchester scene, we eventually caught up um, but uh, it was Pete that snaffled all the interviews, so he got all the interviews with James he got the interviews with the Happy Mondays he got the interviews with the Spiral Carpets the Charlatans and we were just left with the pop guests really so we just kind of concentrated on that on our show and let Pete do the Manchester scene stuff And how long were you with Key for? Oh well I've been there and back over the years but initially I joined in the August of 1988, then I was there till 1992, uh, managed to get the breakfast show uh, for a good few years just before we left Key for the first time. And um, yeah, Mark Story and Keith took over then. Uh, there was a bit of a clear out once again and Tim Grundy, who was there then, sadly no longer with us in radio. Um, or, or in the real world, and uh, he got rid of me. He got rid of me and Paul Carrington and a few other presenters because the wage bill must have been extortionate. There was just way too many people and presenters on the books, so they had to clean up producers, had to clean up presenters. And I went home feeling a bit subdued, and my dad said, well, why have they got rid of you? And I said, I don't know. They said, well, why don't you go and ask the managing director, you know, what, why they got rid of you? So I went in to see a guy called Julian Allett at the time. It was under the uh, ownership of Owen Oyston, the two stations at the time, and Julian was there. And I said, I just want to ask you a question. Why was I got rid of? And nobody ever told me. And I suspected it was the money, but they never said that. And he says, well, okay, we've got two new guys starting, uh, Mark Story and Keith Pringle. They're coming over from Ireland. They've worked at uh, Radio 1 and Capital Radio. Um, why don't you uh, have a word with them and see, see if they, you know, have anything for you? So we did when they first joined, and they luckily gave me a chance to come back on Piccadilly Radio. Uh, it's about 1989, 1990. Uh, I did a few Saturday shows, and then they gave me back the evening show that had been taken <laughs> off me. Uh, and uh, they were suitably impressed to offer me the breakfast show. And I remember at the time going to a gig. I can't remember where it was, some Heineken Music Festival somewhere. And Mark uh, offered me the breakfast show. And uh, I turned him down flat, saying, oh, I don't want to get up at stupid o'clock. I'm, <laughs> I'm only 20 years old. Why do I want to do that? I had an agent at the time, uh, John Noel. And uh, he said, you will take the breakfast show, actually. <laughs> You'll sort yourself out. So that's when I accepted the breakfast show. And I did that for a couple of years under Mark and Keith, which was uh, was huge fun, definitely. And 
I mean, breakfast is always um, been a, um, as many would say, it's always the pre- the prestigious spot on radio. And what were the breakfast shows like um, waking up Manchester every morning? Again, I had the freedom to do what I want, but, uh, you know, that was the first stage that I'd ever heard of being snooped and uh, and listened back to. And, you know, Martin Keith put a, a great deal of effort there. I mean, there was no p- dedicated producers to breakfast shows back in the day, not on Piccadilly or Key 103 anyway. And um, they were kind of hands-on producers for the show. They'd come up with ideas and, that you know, we'd have meetings and uh, and put it in. It was the first time I'd had my name on the side of a bus. They, you know, spent money advertising the show uh, so uh, you know it was the most money I'd ever earned I mean it wasn't a lot at the time but it was the most money that I'd ever earned uh, in radio so they looked after me and uh, the market was quite competitive you know it was the Sunset Radio would I think come and gone by then uh, Kiss had come on which later became Galaxy and uh, so that you know the competition was there BBC Radio 1 had been big in Manchester before and uh, we managed uh, at that stage to become number one in the marketplace at breakfast and throughout the day on Key 103 so we worked hard uh, but we also played hard when we celebrated the Rajar successes back in the day the next category is your tastes what attracts you to a partner nice pretty good looks and the rest just there. You learn about as you go on, I think. Oh, aye. sex. That's personality as well, isn't it? No. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't care. Who, if you had to make a choice, would you like to eject into outer space, never to be seen again? Um, Spence. <laughs> <laughs> um... Oh, that's that's an add on that. Um, Send Ross. 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 <laughs> Ross. Yeah, Ross. No, you can't Ross. Ross. That. Just me. <laughs> Ross. So after um, Key 103 um, comes Signal in Stoke. And, um, of co- well, of course, uh, before going on to Signal, because uh, Terry Underhill was uh, there at this point. And, um, of course, you had, um, you had known Terry from uh, the days at Marcher. Was that sort of how you got your foot in the door with Signal? It was. Terry's helped me enormously over my radio career. He's been a really good guy. And he, he, he kind of took me under the wing. I mean, his partner, they kind of took me under the wings and I became their surrogate son <laughs> kind of way or, or younger brother of Terry, I'd probably like to think of it else. Of, uh, so that you know, he had always looked after me. So, you know, he said when I left uh, March, you know, good luck, because he was going to signal at the time, at about the same time as me. Good luck, and, you know, stay in touch. And if ever you need anything, I'm here to help you or give you advice and stuff. So, you know, over my career, right up until um, when I last worked for the wireless group just a few years ago, Terry's been kind of a mentor and uh, and looked after me. And if anything's been coming up, you know, he's, he's always like looked out for a vacancy for me and uh, and looked after me that way. So, yeah, when uh, when I left uh, Key 103, I gave him a call straight away, went to see him and his partner, Julie, and... Uh, and uh, we had a meeting, a few drinks at his house, and uh, apparently coming up was the breakfast show on Signal 1. So they offered me that, and uh, I happily spent the next two years there with uh, Terry and uh, John Evington. And what what was that life in Stoke like? Because Signal, um, again, another heritage station, um, and it's, again, a station that's also pr- uh, produced other uh, great names, because wasn't Chris Moyles uh, a name who was also at Signal? Yeah, I remember when I did breakfast. Chris actually joined to do the evening show, and um, he asked me he asked my advice. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I remember telling him, I said, well, you're new here, so keep your head down. Don't don't be too loud in the office. And of course, he ignored that completely. Uh, became the loudmouth personality the, that he always was. I think he was on The Pulse uh, in Leeds before that, maybe. And, uh, and we became good friends. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, after he did his evening show at 10 o'clock, uh, we'd go to the pub, the Wheat Sheaf, which was near Stoke train station together, have a few beers, and uh, and, and then he'd come to my flat in Newcastle under Lyme after the show sometimes. So we, we became good friends, me and Chris there. We slightly drifted apart when he went off, although when I went to work in London at Radio 1, he was at Chilton in Milton Keynes, and he'd often drive into London after that show as well. I think Chris was quite a lonely guy at the time, uh, but that's how we became good friends. 75, that's the Connells. It's Signal 1 at breakfast coming up to 19 minutes 9. It's 8.41. Spencer McDonald here. Hello. Another nice day in store. Another day to moan if you come stand the heat. <laughs> it's getting that way. More and more people are moaning around. Oh, too hot. It's too hot. Oh, yeah. It's the same people. And a month's time going, oh, it's too cold, isn't it? Oh, too cold. There must be a, is there, there must be an exact temperature these, that people are really happy. It must be precisely something like 17.567 reoccurring Celsius. That's that point where they go, oh, it's just right. But anything else, oh, too hot, oh, too cold. From uh, another, um, another station signal heading back up north this time, was it to the bay in Lancashire? I think the, I don't know, I, I always get mixed up. I don't know where the bay was before signal or before the bay but it's in the mix around that time uh, and Julian Allett once again um, who had been the guy the MDO went to see at Piccadilly Radio to ask why I'd lost my job I don't know why why don't you ask Mark and Keith he said he was there when I was in a pickle I actually think it was before signal now I might have given you tough information um, I rang him up and said oh I believe you got stationed the bay he'd set that up from scratch uh, with a new license that had come available uh, and uh, I'd, I'd like the output it was really good they had jam jingles on there uh, the music was 60s, 70s, 80s and now, and it just sounded so good. So, um, yeah, he, he said, I've got a guy in called Kenny James. I have a word with him. And, uh, and I think he basically told Kenny James to give me a show. So I spent, um, I think it was about six to eight months there um, at the Bay, and then they offered me the breakfast show, uh, but I didn't want to do that there because um, the money was absolutely awful. <laughs> so I said, no, you're all right. Uh, and then, yeah, the signal job came up, and then, and then I went there from the Bay. It's on me, Abba on the Bay. It's 11 minutes to 6. Spence here. Hello. Well, the fires are sweeping through Hollywood and hitting the stars' homes. Um, they've advised all celebrities and people in the area to get anything wooden out of the way. So uh, Sylvester Stallone's moved right out. Bay traffic and travel with the D Stoker Group. DSG, the driving force for Renault throughout the bay. No major problems to report tonight. On the roads, M6, junction 30 to 32, stretch Blakehead to Broughton. Elsewhere, no upsets. The time's 10 to 6 and you're up to the minute from the bay. Bay traffic and travel with the D Stoker Group. DSG, the driving force for Renault throughout the bay. Cut your teeth as a presenter um, on on a load of these heritage stations, um, Piccadilly, Key, uh, Signal and The Bay. Uh, January of 1996 uh, comes along and you move into the producer's desk for BBC Radio 1 when they offer you 
um, a opportunity to produce uh, Mark Goodyear's show in the UK Top 40. So how did that position come about? Well, that came about because uh, I was scouting through Media Guardian. You know, I'd, I'd done two years in uh, Signal and I fell out with John Evington a couple of times <laughs> over daft things like criticising the paint job on the building. And I don't know whether it was <laughs> whether it, how he felt about me at the time, but I thought, ah, oh, it might be time to move on now. And I saw an advert in the Media Guardian on a Monday uh, looking for broadcast assistants and producers at uh, Radio 1. Uh, that was the time when they were just trying to change the output. They were trying to get rid of, uh, well, they did do in the end, didn't they, of Dave Lee Travis and Simon Bates. They were trying to make it more youth-focused station uh, rather than the way it drifted, you know, to broadcasting to 45 to 50-year-olds at work and stuff. They wanted to refocus the station, so they were looking for younger people to become broadcast assistants and producers at the time. So the actual role I applied for was a broadcast assistant at uh, BBC Radio 1. Got an interview, told John Evington that I had a ingrowing toenail operation so I couldn't do the breakfast show one morning uh, and got the train down to London, did the interview um, and it was Trevor Dan who was one of the exec producers down there at the time and he kind of knew me from my time at Piccadilly uh, so even though you know I slouched in the interview and got told off by one of the BBC board for slouching in my chair I managed to get through and uh, get offered the job um, for broadcast assistant and um not long after I took that job in London, um, I was offered, and uh, they called it um, acting up because the producer from the Mark Goodyear show on Top 40 uh, went on uh, to work for Radio 2 doing documentaries. So even though I wasn't uh, officially producer, they, uh, they beca- I became an acting up producer, which I think was a role title. So they didn't have to pay you the full producer's money. But in effect, you were producing the shows throughout the day. I was given my own broadcast assistant who worked with me. So I thought, well, I am the producer. Uh, highlight of that was actually going to those uh, music meetings and getting stuff that you suggested on the Radio 1 playlist. I couldn't really believe it at the time that, well, I'm in this room with all these other top producers. And yeah, it was a, gr- it was a great time there. Mark Goodyear, what a great guy to work for. Although I did get told off because when I first started at Radio 1, I started writing jokes like I used to tell on The Breakfast Show on Key 103 back in the day and Trevor Dan called me to the office he says can you stop writing jokes for Mark Goodyear because you know it doesn't sound right coming out of his mouth he's not usually like a presenter that tells these jokes so uh, yeah we just uh, focused on the music and uh, and just general chit chat and conversation after that. But this was at the time when uh, wasn't it Radio 1 had Chris Evans who um, if if anyone's read the book he was um, making Trevor Dan's blood boil and um as well as that, weren't they also trying to not allow status quo on the radio? Yeah, I was there when the, and status quo sued Radio 1. It was We called into a meeting, a programming meeting at 10 in the morning and it's about, this is in the papers today, this is the way we're going to handle it, you know. We never promised status quo uh, that we'd guarantee their songs be on the playlist. This apparently went back uh, to a time when status quo did the Radio 1 road shows with Simon Bates and Dave Lee Travis and the old guard and uh, they, they must have, some producer must have said, look, if you do this road show, we'll always play your singles. And they took that as a verbal agreement that like, meant forever. Well, of course, with Radio 1 updating and trying to go uh, to broadcast to a younger demographic, you know, that was that was kicked out of the window, firmly into touch. So, uh, you know, that they were offended. And I think it was just to do with more publicity. I, I don't recall that they actually did sue the station. It was just to get some paper publicity. But, uh, yeah, Chris Evans was there at the time. But I only ever met him once because uh, his it was a uh, self-produced show uh, with his uh, Ginger Productions. And they had the top floor, the fifth floor at Radio Radio 1, which was just for Chris Evans. I think he had his own key in the lift. He couldn't even get to the floor. Uh, So I just bumped into him in the lift 
once. Um, but yeah, that was uh, it was a hell of a lineup back in the day on Radio One. Those are just some of the big hits and the big highlights from the top of the UK's only official chart. But where are your favourites going to be? Stick around to find out as we count down the 40 best-selling singles of the last 12 months. Exclusive to 97 to 99 FM Radio One. The original UK Top 40 with Mark Goody on Radio 1. So, what's number 40 on the chart of 1995? It's Living Joy, Dreamer. And, um, well, I, I've, got to, I've got to ask this. Because um, you were a producer at Radio 1 and there have there's always been um, people who, back then, who were either broadcast assistant or producer, would later go on to present a show on Radio 1... Uh, likes of Claire Sturges and others. Um, w- w- did you ever was presenting on Radio One something you always wanted to do? Yeah, I was warned at my uh, board meeting with the BBC when I went for the job. Like, this isn't a backdoor into being a presenter, you know, on the station. Because obviously, you know, I thought, well, it might be. Uh, but I was happy to take a back seat by then. I thought, well, this is exciting. It's the big Radio One. I've always wanted to work there. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But uh, it did happen on one occasion, as uh, Trevor Dan called me, and I think Claire Sturgis who did a weekend show she was she was off and uh, he called me in and said look I've had a word with Matthew Bannister he says you know do you know anybody who can do the show and I've suggested you so I said oh wow wow uh, so I did this overnight show one night they paid me I think it was 200 pounds which was like remarkable at the time I thought what you give me 200 quid to do a, a three-hour show and it followed uh, Mark Radcliffe and uh, Mark and Large show at night which they did from Manchester so I didn't meet them at the time but uh, it followed them and uh, I did this overnight show and uh, then I heard nothing else nothing back at all um in between then, I'd, we'll get to this in a minute, I guess, uh, I went back to Key 103 after that, but uh, uh, after it hadn't been noticed in, I found out loads of people said, oh, who's this guy that was on? He was really good. Well, the producers were saying to me, you know, we got a load of great feedback, and uh, Trevor said, oh, you might have been able to to get more shows. Well, I'd agreed to go back to Key 103 uh, then with John Dash, so uh, a little too late, but I did get to do one show on Radio 1, so, you know, kind of ambition achieved. <laughs> <clears throat> Hi, sorry, it's Claire Sturgis here. I'm sorry if you... <coughs> sorry if you think there's something wrong with my voice. <coughs> it's because... Uh... <coughs> it's because really... I'm a man, a man. I'm a man. That's it, I'm a man. Yeah, the truth's out now. I'm a man. My real name is Spence McDonald, and uh, I'm going to do the show in the guise of my alter ego male self just for tonight. But um, as you said, so you did that one show on Radio 1, but by this point you'd gone back to uh, Key 103. So what was heading back to Key like? It was enormously exciting. It was a time because um, um, I, I had a bit of a, I wouldn't say a breakdown, but, uh, I'd, you know, I was going through a bit of a bad time at the time in London because I was away from family, I was away from friends, me and the other half. And uh, one morning I, I got angry with the bath and threw a, um, a glass cup into it and it smashed the bath into into pieces that a little gap in it. I thought, oh, I'm going to have to pay for that now. And I thought, oh, I wonder if there's anything going at Key 103. I wouldn't mind going back to Manchester. I've had enough of London here. Uh, it was only a year, but <laughs> I'd had enough of London. And uh, I rang up John Dash. I said, look, John, um, anything coming up? And he went, oh, actually, um, Steve Penk's leaving the breakfast show. Pete and Jeff are going to be doing the breakfast show. Um, so there's a gap in the afternoons if you'd be interested. I went, oh, yeah, totally. So I met John in uh, Soho for a few beers and uh, he offered me the job. The money was 
even better than it was when I was on um, Key 103 Breakfast back in the day. I guess Steve Penk had got it up when he took over the breakfast show after I left. Uh, so it was, it, was, it, was a, it was an offer that was too good to refuse, really. So I went there. I'd done a few um, weekend shows ahead of starting the afternoon show when they offered me the breakfast show. Um, they decided to have a change of heart and uh, offer it me instead of Pete and Jeff. I don't know what the reasons were. Uh, I never found out. I didn't ask. Um, I just said, well, will Pete and Jeff be okay? So, yeah, they're okay. We're looking after them. We give them the new contract in the afternoon. So, you know, they're okay. Uh, so that's uh, how I took over the breakfast show on Key 103 again. Um, and the good thing was it moved. It moved from that smelly, awful Piccadilly Plaza, which, you know, as a kid was it was radio dreamland to me when I used to go up the escalators age 10 to collect stickers from Pat on reception. She was there then. And uh, buy 261 Sun Strips and the like. And uh, it was a mecca then. But by the end, it was just very tired and old and I remember one breakfast show when I was there I had to actually ask a homeless person if they'd take the head off uh, their head off the newspapers on the escalator because they were using them as a pillow and I felt awful I felt really awful but you know that was a that was a morning paper delivery and it did it, it, the place was was horrible and Mark and Keith realized that and they managed to persuade the board at the time that it was time for a move and by the time I came back uh, the move had, was just about to happen to Castle Key, which is, as you know, anyone knows who's been there, is, a, is an amazing studio complex look, overlooking the Castlefield Basin. And um, what what was that move like when you were um, going from the Piccadilly Plaza to Castle Move, having maybe done your, the final show from, uh, Pic- from Piccadilly Plaza and then moving to uh, a brand spanking new studio? <laughs> Yeah, I think they did that over the weekend. Um, I seem to remember they did that over the weekend. So I wasn't really involved in the particular move. Uh, we all got to have a play in the new studios um, at Castle Quay before they, they went on air. But they took the old desks with them. <laughs> I thought, oh, it's going to be all this amazing new equipment. No, no, they just took the old desks with them and, and put them in the new studio complexes. Unlike now, when the likes of Bauer and Global, they start a new studio up or, or re, you know, re- revamp them. It's like something out of a TV studio now, and there's all these lights up there, and you know. That's stuff I could only have dreamt of. So, you know, they took us there with the old desks. But it was, the studio complex was so fantastic. You know, it just gave the station a new energy, a new passion, a new buzz. And, um, yeah, it was it was just amazing Look at, looking over that canal basin in the morning where, as the view at Piccadilly Plaza had just been the four Hessian walls before that and some, some ashtrays in the studio, which they used to have. So how, how long were you pre- hosting breakfast for on uh, Key for the second time? So the second time was two years again. Uh, then they brought a new boss in. John Dash just disappeared overnight. Um, there were some rage jars. I, th- I don't think it lived up to what it's, they were expecting for the rage jars, but, you know, it's stuff that Key 103 would have dreamed of in the latter years before it became Hits Radio. So they rather panicked rather quickly, uh, brought in Dave Shearer as a boss, and he decided to have a rejig. He he had a, someone, uh, f- f- he was a fat, massive fan of Mike Toulon, who's a fantastic presenter, yeah. Uh, and he brought him in to do the breakfast show and said, oh, do you fancy doing afternoons, a show I was originally brought in to do? And I thought, do you know what? I wouldn't mind a Lying. The money was the same, so I didn't lose out on there. So uh, yeah, I moved to afternoons there on Key 103. And uh, what was that afternoon show like? Oh, it was great. It was great fun. Yeah, yeah. You know, I had great times there. I had laughs with the news readers. I used to bring them in on the show and stuff like that. Uh, I always remember it being sunny at the time. I don't know whether that was the case or not, but I just moved to Didsbury. Uh, bought my very first house on the back of the, the wages that John Dash had given me. And uh, it was just, it's a really good time. I just remember it being a really good time. And unbeknownst to Dave Shearer, I put in an entry for the EMAP Awards, which uh, was the company that used to own uh, Key 103 at the time. And I put in an entry for the non-breakfast show. And I didn't think anything of it. 
I'd interviewed the Lighthouse family and I did a game with them called Lighthouse Family Fortunes and it was a bit of fun. So I put that on the entry and a few other bits. Anyway, we got to Ponds Forge in Sheffield <laughs> one night of the Bower Awards, uh, the EMAP Awards, and I'd forgotten all about it. And they said, oh, now the announcement for the winner of the Best Breakfast Show, and it called my name out. I couldn't believe it. Uh, Dave Shearer, I couldn't believe it. His mouth was on the floor. Uh, so I managed to pick up that award. So, you know, I must have had a great deal of creative freedom on that show as well uh, to pick up the award for Best Non-Breakfast Show at the EMAP Awards, which I uh, later dropped and <laughs> smashed into pieces. I wish they'd made them a plastic rather than glass. Today's best music, Q103 Breakfast, it's at nine minutes to eight. Spencer, chef of the day today, is what we're doing. Chef du jour, Adam Eastwood, from uh, Apricorn, Apricorn, Apricorn Catering in Zeneca in Blakely, nominated by his wife Karen. Adam, you're our chef du jour today. Uh, talking of food and that sort of business, the uh, best motorway service cup of tea has been announced. It's at the Take a Break Motorway Services on the M5 southbound at Strensham. Long way to go if you're just thinking of stopping for a decent cuppa. And I'm just thinking, what qualifies as the best cup of tea on the motorway services? Is it well, something that doesn't taste so much of paraffin, more just like turps? You know? Alright, is this tea or coffee, love? It tastes like petrol. Oh, it must be tea, the coffee tastes like. <laughs> He has just sounded like an enormous fun to be part of. And between the two times that you you went round, what was your main highlight with them? Oh, I suppose, you know, they did a lot of big gigs at the time and um, I got to uh, host uh, Brian Adams and the Prince gig at Main Road. You know, going on stage in front of that many people uh, was utterly amazing. I actually introduced Brian Adams at his gig at Main Road. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to uh, Key 103 Presents uh, concert, blah, blah, blah. And uh, Brian Adams and they roared and I walked off. And I was supposed to do the same with Prince, but apparently his management got in touch and said, no, he doesn't want that. It doesn't want to be brought on by a breakfast show from the local radio station. Thank you very much. Uh, so I didn't get to do that. Oh, I did introduce the the acts in between there. But, you know, they organised massive events. They had parties in the park and, and these OBs getting out, meeting the people and stuff and uh, and some big celebrity interviews they did over the time. It was just it was just a massive station, you know. And, you know, I didn't need the ambition to go to work for Capital Radio or Radio 1 anymore, you know. Key 103 was doing that kind of business in the Manchester market. Manchester Festival 97. If you're not awake now, you never will be. It's 16 minutes past day, and at the Iron the Sky with business pages, the red directory for people at work. It's Job Lickway. Do you actually understand any of that? No, it's just like, hey, we're Manchester. <laughs> something like that. I think there's some acts doing something at the festival. I think that's the gist of it. Oh, right, right, Manchester. <laughs> of course, Manchester. So the North has always sounded like big fun to be part of, especially in the radio business, because it, it, it is just a hub of radio stations wherever you go. Um, and um, after your second stint with Key, there's another North Station which comes along that uh, John Myers owns, and that's being Century. So how did the Century gig come about? Well, I, I had to kind of wait till John Myers had uh, moved on from Century. I don't know where he went. I think he... I, I, did he start... 
it hadn't started Real Radio there, but he'd left Century. Cap- Capital Radio bought Century out. That was it. So that's why he'd left the company. And uh, he, he, he was just free doing his own consultancy, I think, then, before he started Real Radio. So I don't think John Myers was a massive fan of mine. Um, you know, he had his style. He liked his presenters to have, and I didn't kind of fit into that vision. So, you know, over the years, after I'd applied to gigs that Station did work for, I got kind of got the... Impression that ah oh, okay I'm not I'm not John Myers kind of presenter, so he'd left Capital was uh, was was running the place and uh, I uh, found myself out of work for the first time after the contract ended at Key 103, and uh, I just I rang them up and uh, it was um, Steve King who was looking after it then he was wasn't really the, he was kind of an acting managing director and I went in to meet him and he said look we've not got nothing at the moment but uh, why don't you meet Andy McPherson. He's uh, he's our programme director here, and let's see what he's got. And I met Andy, and he was like, oh, Keen, you know, oh, you did the breakfast show, okay, that's good, and uh, we haven't got anything at the moment, but um, would you like to do the travel on Tony Blackburn's drive time show? I said, I beg your pardon. He says, well, just get you in the building, meet people, and uh, Tony Blackburn was doing a network show on gold at the time, at drive time, and they needed someone to read the travel out, so... And stalled myself in a little booth in the newsroom at uh, Laser House in Sulphur Keys and uh, did the travel for Tony Blackburn's drive time show uh, and waited in that booth and uh, met the likes of other people I've worked with at Piccadilly over the years before. Obviously, Pat, she was on reception by there then. Uh, Joe Blakeway had been my uh, eye in the sky and part of the team at Keys. She was there and a few other presenters. And uh, Mike Maguire, who was doing the breakfast show with Tony Horn. Um, I don't think Tony will mind me saying this. Uh, I'd had enough of working with Tony Horn. Uh, There's a bit of a spat, and Mike said, I'm leaving, I'm going to Key 103 with JK and Joel. And Century went, no, don't go, and he went, I want my own show. And uh, they said, well, what, what show would you do on your own? And he said, well, you know, I, I like Spence. And Mike had years before sent me a demo tape of his impressions and stuff uh, when I was on The Breakfast at Key, and I was really interested. Oh, let's get this guy in, but they, they wouldn't pay, Key wouldn't pay. And they said, no, 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 no. And then Mike went to Galaxy, and Century after that and won awards uh, so yeah he always remembered me and said I'd like to do it with Spence so we did a little demo together and uh, they gave us a drive time show at Century on the back of that as well so I managed to elevate myself from reading Tony Blackburn's travel to getting my own show again on, on the radio and that uh, how that was how the partnership was formed and uh, I have to ask for what was um, what was that first show like because um, often I hear stories about you know, about partnerships and how they get how they get formed and um it is kind of it's either it's either a gamble that either pays off or can end quite badly yeah yeah it could have ended badly i mean we're still doing a show together now on happy radio we've just started doing one together now so we've always remained friends over the years but uh, yeah we did the demo and i remember mike doing the demo with other people and i'd done the demo with him and i went okay i think that's all right and i'll give that to andy mcpherson and he said i'm doing a demo with uh, such and such a presenter tonight and i said to him oh make sure you're crap be crap on that demo I said, I don't know if we can do that or not. I said, well, just be rubbish. Don't, you know, don't put too much effort into these demos. So I don't know how he did it or not, but uh, it was it was our demo they liked and chose. And we just kind of hit it off straight away, really. You know, straight from the outset, we kind of got what we were doing. Uh, and we decided to say my name and his name independently of each other so people knew who we were. Because, you know, sometimes when you listen to Joe, you go, who's who? You know, if it's two guys, you know, if it's a guy and uh, a girl, you, you know who's who. But uh, we decided to go, I'll say McDonald and you say Maguire. So we'd go, hi, it's uh, Century Drive Time with me, Spencer McDonald. And then he'd go, and me, Mike Maguire. And it was quite a novel way of doing it. But we did. We hit it off just straight away and it was good. And we've remained good friends ever since. And it's nice to be back on the radio with him right now. 
Well, what were your highlights with Century? Um, so, well, we we used to do these wind-up calls with Mike. Um, he did a character called Kilroy, who was on TV at the time. And he'd done it on The Breakfast Show, and it was like, how do you feel? Uh, Kilroy used to ask this question on his show all the time. How do you feel? How did that make you feel? And he used to do these calls called um, uh, the, the, the Kilroy calls. And it was just asking people how they feel. It never really went anywhere. So I said, well, let's develop that. Let's just do it as a... And it wasn't so much a wind-up call as our intent was to make people laugh on the other end of the phone. So we'd ring up. He'd pretend to be an old bloke called Kilroy. It was just nothing to do with the TV show, really. And we'd ask all manner of stupid questions, like we rang up a hotel and he'd say his wife was a little bit on the large side. Could they bring a paddling pool into the room that she could bathe in? Could they bring a microwave because she gets hungry at night? You know, Is it near a golf course? Yes. Well, the balls aren't going to come in through the window, are they? So, you know, we tried to make people laugh. It was like the opposite of a wind-up call. Instead of trying to make people angry at the other end, we tried to make them laugh, and we did quite a lot of those. Um, I wasn't sure whether we asked a lot of people permission whether we could broadcast them at the time. It was kind of in that time, that lax time, when all the, the boundaries and rules of radio weren't adhered to. But, you know, as it didn't really show anybody up or make them angry, you know, I don't think anybody complained. Cops. Hey, we still got problems with those cockroaches? Yeah, I got the problems. I said to the wife, you gotta get an exterminator in. She said, I'll get a cheap one. I said, no, pay for a good one. She said, no, we'll save money, I'll get a cheap one. So she rings up for a cheap one. You know what happened? What? For some schmuck who turned up with a f***ing rolled up newspaper. <laughs> My God, that's f***ing cheap. Cops is a McDonald and McGuire production for Q103 Manchester. After leaving Century, you um, go back to your roots uh, near the beginning, and this time Piccadilly has now become Magic 1152, and uh, you're asked to host breakfast. Yeah, once again, um, the contract ended at Century, and I think we've, you know, being a double header, it was seemed too much money to pay for one show. Uh, so we called up Anthony Gay and you, you and McMorrow, who were running the things at Piccadilly and uh, what Magic, as it was then, and Key 103, and uh, there's timing it's all in the timing usually uh justin morass was leaving the breakfast show at magic and going to present an afternoon show on key 103 and they said okay we can't pay you a lot of money and we did take a, a drop in in the salary but you know you do stuff in radio because you love radio you, you love doing the show it's not always about the the figures on a bit of paper we went yeah of course we'll do it so we got to do the breakfast show on magic 1152 for a couple of years there and you know and mike had never worked at a place like like that century was good but you know it wasn't quite the ethos that uh, key 103 and magic had you know and we went there and we were looking the cas- over overlooking the castlefield base and again i thought oh i've arrived and back and back in manchester even though you know century was only up the road at Salford keys and you know, it felt like i was back home again and to have mike in tow doing his impressions and comedy calls and stuff like that we had a real whale of a time and uh, we, we actually changed a lot of the playlist you know if a lot of the songs came up and we're like, do you know what i don't like that one we changed it all around and you know i don't think anybody really paid attention to it until one day i think there was an audit of the music and anthony gay said to us how come uh, none of the music that you played this morning corresponded to the log I went oh i must have picked up yesterday's log uh, managed to get away with it but uh, firmly stayed adhering to the log after that but no it was good times again the the, the creative freedom to do what you wanted to do was there well ma- magic is it, it's it's a network that i remember listening to uh, religiously um 
And because I know, am I right in thinking this was a station that was more about um, the music, uh, whereas Piccadilly, not, not whereas Key and um, all the other stations was more about all the biggest hits of today. Magic was effectively just uh, specialist music and classic rock songs. Yeah, it was. The playlist was very much focused on that. But uh, being a Manchester station, they wanted to remain focused on the personality at breakfast. That was what had always carried um, that through over the years from the days of Dave Ward and James H. Reeve on breakfast at Piccadilly and Dave Ward and Umberto. It was that personality-led breakfast and that had always been carried on through, uh, even when it changed to magic, you know, with Justin Morehouse in a way. You, you love him or you hate him, but uh, he did very well on that show and it, it was the personality. So they left the breakfast show to do that. And then the rest of the day was, uh, at the time, networked from uh, Newcastle. Um, so, yeah, we were, I think we were the only local show on there. At the time. Well, magic has always sounded again like a lot of fun. What was your highlight with magic? I just have to say, working with Mike on uh, on, on the breakfast show, we had such a laugh. We really did. <laughs> yeah. um, that I can tell you the low light. I can tell you the low light. <laughs> we had many highlights, but the low light. We went to an awards do one night, and Richard Park was there. And uh, I remember Anthony Gay saying, "Make sure the breakfast show is fantastic tomorrow. Make sure it's wonderful." And you, you, oh, yeah, we did. We prepared the best breakfast show ever because Richard Park might be listening in. He was uh, he was working for them at the time as a consultant, and uh, and we went to the awards. Awards do some awards do in Manchester. Uh, everyone was there, and me and Mike left early. So we've got we've got the breakfast show tomorrow. And then Mike said, "Do you fancy Chinese?" And I went, oh, "Yes, have a Chinese." Uh, woke up in the middle of the night, throwing up everywhere. Oh, it was an absolute nightmare. Got to the station, could hardly speak. I was so ill. Um, and, uh, you know, I had to uh, get Mike to ring up and get a replacement in last minute. Uh, I think it was Dave Ward who just stood in. We got him out of his uh, coffin and um, <laughs> he sleeps in the ground. And um, he came in and covered the breakfast show. But, oh, God, I thought, what's Richard Park going to think? He's going to think all sorts. Anyway, food poisoning, but paid to that show. So that was the low light, but there were there were many highlights. We didn't get to do so many music interviews on that show. They all went over to Key 103. Uh, so I'd say the highlight was actually, because we always wanted to be on Key 103, uh, was actually getting the offer to go and do the late show on Key 103 from Magic Breakfast, which we did uh, for quite a few years, actually. Late night lineup, Key 103, Manchester. It's uh, 25 past 10, and we'll do Spence's news in just a second. We've got a, a lovely voicemail uh, left on our voicemail again. Oh, yeah. uh, by the way, if you want to leave us a voicemail, do give us a call 0161 285 103. Option one gets you through to the show. We've had a lovely young girl call us up tonight, Mike. Hi, it's Claire from Staley Bridge. Um, please, could you play Snow, Snow Patrol? If I lay here for Paul, it's... No, I haven't got it. Uh, <laughs> right, uh, it's a bit cruel, isn't it? Well, there's no point in letting it go on if I haven't got it lined up. <laughs> okay. No point in dragging it. Following um, your time with Key and Magic, uh, 2010 arrives, and the station where um, you started, Marcher, is relaunching as Hart, North Western Wales, and uh, going back to your roots where it all began, you were uh, asked to take on breakfast. Yeah, I'd left um, Key 103 at the time. Contract ended again. The, the, the late show was costing them £90,000, which was way too much money to, to, to fund. So uh, they, they we were let go. It was a time when the first uh, massive recession hit radio and they were just cutting back completely at uh, Castle Key. And uh, sadly, you know, being a late show, it's not one of the priorities. Uh, we found ourselves out of a job then. So um, I did about another few months at Signal. Chris Buckley was running it then, so he just gave me some swing work. But uh, I also did a bit of swing work for for Hart, 
Uh, Steve Sims was the guy there, really nice guy, uh, spoke to him. And uh, Simon Nix, again, was doing the breakfast show at heart. And he says, oh, there might be some bits coming up in the future. Um, I don't know, but do you want to do some standing show? So I drove all the way uh, to Bangor, which is, you know, you know North Wales, is right at the end <laughs> near Anglesey. And it took me like three and a half hours to get there in the morning and three and a half hours back just to do some standing breakfast shows. And then uh, Simon Nix decided to leave. I can't remember where he went there, but he decided to leave. And I got wind of this and I sent an, an email in. On the day he announced it, I was ready for when he announced it. Ah, Steve, uh, you know, just wondering if anything's coming up. And he went, yes, Simon's leaving, as luck would have it. Well, I knew. I had a bit of inside information on that. And uh, he, they offered me the breakfast show, which was just for Wrexham then. They had uh, satellite stations on the Wirral and one uh, in Bangor, which is where I did the breakfast show swinging. Um and that, uh, I think they knew, Global knew then what their plans were, that were going to amalgamate all these into one area. And Lewis Clark, who I'd worked with at Key 103, he used to do the mid-morning show when I did breakfast. It's very incestuous, isn't it, this business? Um, he was running um, Heart, the brand, so he said, oh, yeah, I think you'll be a safe pair of hands for this. Uh, so they gave me the gig knowing that um, they were going to amalgamate them all into one area and uh, that I'd be a proper safe, pace, uh, safe pair of hands. Uh, to do the breakfast show uh, for for the whole of the area as it as it became them. And uh, what 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 was that like? Because am I right? Um, it's North Wales, um, an area that you were familiar with um, from uh, the days of March. Yeah. What 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 was that? Bre- what was the breakfast show like doing? Well, it started off as a solo breakfast show, and um, which I was happy doing, you know, I was happy doing that. And then they announced that it was going to be amalgamating, which it did, and then I was still doing a solo breakfast show. But there were double headers all over the country for Heart, for the many stations they had back in the day, uh, before they all became one big national brand. And uh, I thought, oh, can't be long before they put a double header on here. I hope it involves me. And uh, lo and behold, Paul Gerard from Heart in Birmingham says, oh, we've got to do some demos. There's some uh, female presenters who want to demo for, for, the, for the network work for somewhere else you know i knew damn well it'd probably be for this show and they demoed some female presenters and uh, it was angela jay who was from south wales she'd done stuff on real radio down there and i think she would she would do some work on swansea sound i'm not quite sure but she uh, did yeah and she was fantastic and they teamed me up with that angela and uh, we did a double header breakfast show for for many years there at heart northwestern wales which is is what the uh, brand became then and uh, you know initially i thought oh, i don't know if i can do this again but we you know we hit it off we had our ups and downs as you do you know when you you're up first thing in the morning with people that you you don't fully know uh, but uh, there was a hell of a lot more ups than uh, downs on that radio show we had a really good time together i wrote these lyrics you can probably tell it from what she sings that i had written them but she actually sang me this to the actual t- tune of First Time. This is Robin Beck singing for me. It's great, sounds good. Oh, what feeling is this? It's the type of a show that you don't want to miss. He's a man that I love, like the first ray of sun. I can feel it inside. His fab show just begun He's really quite sexy You know he's dead fit It begins when I hear Is it show Spence McDonald is in I love him not this morning That is amazing Is it great? Eh? That is 
fantastic. It's yours again. Oh, no. The head's getting too big, darling. <laughs> exactly. And um, as as well as that, because um, at this point, Hart, um, they, they also operated a Welsh language station, um, being Hart Cymru, which was later turned into Capital Cymru. And I've got to ask, because you've, you, you've spent a lot of your time in North Wales, did you pick up any Welsh language? Um, yeah, well, fortunately, I didn't have to do the travel. That was always Angela's job or Fiona, who took over from Angela or Rachel, who took over from Fiona. I went through a few women. <laughs> it's the first time that's been said. Um, and, uh, yeah, they did the travel. So I didn't have to pronounce places along the front, like Llanfair, Vecan. Uh, I mean, I got used to them. And in the end, I could actually say Llanfair, Pithwingus, Gorgeroth, Gwyndroroth, Llanfair, Gorgeroth. So I did pick some up over, you know, over the years. But, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You just, you, you've got to make the effort to know these things and be be able to say uh, happy christmas and happy new year in in welsh sometimes because you know even though we were an english based uh, english language station where we were and the other one was uh, was the welsh language in particular uh, you know we still have some welsh listeners bilingual listeners so it was always nice to say boradar or nadolig llawen i think was happy christmas so i remember a couple of bits so it's seven years with heart north wales uh, what was your highlight with them? Um, oh, um, well, we did we didn't do as many gigs as, as you know as you'd like to do over, over the years. But uh, the highlight was working with a great team there once again. Creative Freedom from Paul Holmes, who, who was the boss there, and he'd um, actually been the I think the imaging producer at Century Radio was there, and I forgot. And uh, when Steve Sims left Hart, uh, they brought Paul Holmes to show him round and he waved through the window and uh, I came out and went, oh, pleased to meet you, I'm Spencer McDonald. And he laughed, he thought I was joking, but I didn't recognise him. I'd forgot, I forgot all about him because I hadn't really met him that much at Century. And I've got an awful brain for names and faces and I thought, oh God, I must have embarrassed myself. But he, I think until he hears this, if he listens to this, he won't realise that I actually didn't know who he was, <laughs> even though I'd met him before. Uh, so yeah, the creative freedom again. And, and, and being on heart and and the studios, you know, even though they were 45 miles away from where I lived, uh, they, were, they were a place of creative freedom. And uh, and wow, they gave me the longest ever stint I've ever had on radio in seven years running in one place on one show. So, you know, I've, uh, of that to thank them for, if nothing else. And if you enjoyed that, don't forget to join me, Spence and Angela, Monday to Friday, 6 till 10 for Heart Breakfast. Yes, you'll get to hear all about our little antics. You'll get the latest on the roads to get your home or to work even quicker all the latest showbiz gossip from the celebrities and tweets too we'll wait you with a smile this is hard. well in 2017 you leave global and begin hosting uh, the late show on the wireless network and um you had previously worked on signal um how different was it compared to when you were at signal all those years ago it's kind of hadn't changed really uh, it was hard to say how but it just felt like they had the same signal ethos that it had always had you know a very local breakfast show perry was on it then with uh, louise and that was just it was so stoke the breakfast show which is why it did so well in the ratings it was just stoke through and through uh, a lot of the shows at night were networked i think just they networked two shows then it was just the evening show and the late show and uh, Terry Underhill was there again. I, I gave him a call. Kyle Evans, who was producing Breakfast and uh, was the programme director at Heart at the time, um, he gave Terry a call because he knew him as well. So, you know, Heart's changing direction um, and Spence won't be having a new contract here. Seven years is a good run. I couldn't complain. Um, have you got anything from there uh, for him, uh, the wireless group? And as it happens, timing was OK again. And the late show had uh, come up. And uh, Terry said, basically, we once again, a breakfast show 
at night was the was the description of, of the show they wanted. Could I do that? And I said, yeah, I think I can do that. He said, you don't mind working late, you know, because you're used to getting up in the morning. I said, you know, when you're doing a three-hour show, it doesn't really make much difference. It was actually 20 miles less a day round journey straight down the A34 from where I lived at the time. Uh, so I, I snatched his hand off at the time, and it was great working with Terry again. Again, he gave me the total freedom. Uh, so, yeah, breakfast show at night was the was the uh, the um, the description of the show I was to do, and that, that's what I did for two years there as well. And it must have been a fun time as well, because you're reunited with not just Terry, Terry, but Ray Rose as well. Yeah, Ray was doing the evening show over on the, the AM service. I have to remember what that was called. Now was AM S- <laughs> Signal Two? That's it. Yeah, and they, yeah, they all had their own different names, didn't they, across the network? And uh, Ray was doing it from the studio next door uh, on an old desk I'd worked on many years ago at a station uh, on a digital Revox desk, which had then become one of the worst broadcast desks in the world. He could hardly hear himself on the cans. So we were kind of working at the same time. He finished when I was starting. So we went out for a few beers and stuff. And, you know, Ray's always been a good friend over the years. So it was good to see Ray at night. Apart from that, I didn't see anybody because, you know, it was that late. Everyone had gone home. Well, then after, whilst whilst doing um, the late show then, um, Imagine Radio comes along and uh, you're back uh, from doing uh, Breakfast at night to breakfast in the daytime. Yeah, proper breakfast show again. Yeah, the right time of the day. Once again, uh, Bauer came along and bought stations out, and uh, I was a victim of that as they bought up the Wireless Group network, which I never thought would happen. For some reason, uh, when we were all working for Wireless Group, we never thought that Bauer would buy us out. I don't know why. We just thought, well, they won't want us. Why would they want us? And turns out they want all the FM licenses. They wanted Wish, they wanted Wire, they wanted Towers, FM licenses. Uh, So I went to Imagine, rang up Paul Willett at the time, and uh, they advertised for the breakfast show presenter. I thought, do you know, I'll do this the right way. I won't make a call and just go, hello, do you know me? Can I have it? Kind of thing. I put a proper tape in, a proper, proper application, and waited, and uh, lo and behold, Paul Willett and Ryan Davis, running the station at the time, gave me a call and uh, offered me the show, the breakfast show there, which I thought, oh, this will be good. And, uh, you know, they, they couldn't offer me a big contract because it was just Imagine Radio, but, you know, it was a station. Uh, they had big plans. Uh, for South Manchester and Cheshire. And uh, and as we all know, that came to an abrupt end in the August of that year. It was on the air eight months when Bauer bought them out. Mark Ronson, of course, and Amy Winehouse and Valerie on The Late Show. Headline of the day I saw today. Uh, just take this in tonight. Uh, human-chimp hybrids are possible and should be created to teach people how to respect animals, claims the psychologist. Who's going to volunteer for that one then, eh? There he is, big hairy chimp in there. Well, it came to an abrupt end, but recently you've been back in the breakfast job with the new sound of Manchester with Happy Radio. And Happy Radio is growing very quickly. What is it like? It's so much fun. I said when I left Imagine Radio, I put posts on social media, pictures of me headphones hanging up saying that was it. I was leaving radio. I was going to start my own business with my other half, doing this, that and the other. Uh, and I thought, well, that's it for radio. I've had a good innings. Started in 1987. It's uh, it's 2021 as it was there, so 34 years in radio. That's good. And a lot of people had left then. And, and I couldn't really see any opportunities uh, going forward in radio, to be honest. I thought, you know, a lot of people at the time who'd left the wireless that were setting up their own internet radio stations. And, you know, while everyone wished them well, you need money to run. And, you know, it's difficult getting advertising in. Again, it was it was the time of the pandemic, the dreaded uh, coronavirus, and people weren't spending money on radio, apart from the government, on the coronavirus adverts. Uh, so it wasn't the right time to be on radio stations. And sadly, a lot went to the wall. 
Um, then I got a call from Simon Lowe, who used to produce my breakfast show uh, when I went back to Key 103 under John Dash. I used to do the Down the Pan quiz and produce the show. And he said, you know what? He says, would you be interested in coming back into radio? And I went, well, if it's not a station where you say, well, if you do it for free at first and then when we might make some money, you might get some. And I, thought, I said, mm, I can't really be bothered in a come day, go day, might happen, might not thing he says well there's somebody behind this and he couldn't tell me who at the time and i think you'd be interested i think this is you know you know a good good thing and it could it could be profitable it could be the next big thing in manchester I went yeah, yeah yeah okay whatever whatever uh so i said you put my name down he says would you do breakfast yeah i did that you know because I, I know it's all broadcasting from home now and you know that, that would be easy enough to do for a few hours a day and if i did take up another job doing something else that we have plans to do could do that as well. Um, so uh, later found out it's Dan Proctor and uh, his best mate Max, who's involved in a lot of promoting of uh, concerts and uh, gigs across uh, South Manchester and Cheshire. And Darren, of course, big name in radio. He'd worked up until then on Greatest Hits Radio and uh, was leaving Bower to set up this station. And of course, of course, I'm very interested. Uh, we got chatting and I found out he'd been chatting to Steve Penk. He'd been chatting to Chelsea Norris. Uh, he was going to go on board. And I thought, wow, this could be this could be a big station. There's some n- names on this. Paul Crone was interested of Granada Reports. And I was like, wow, this could be something. So I agreed to do it. And and here I am doing it still. Uh, we're only uh, at time of recording five weeks in. Uh, there were plans, because uh, we only was on 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 the Alexa speak, the smart speakers and uh, online to start with. There were plans to get on DAB by October this year. Uh, but as luck would have it, uh, a vacancy came up on the Manchester multiplex uh, when Fix Radio left to go on National DAB and uh, and we're going on there on Monday the 16th of May which may have passed us by now so we went live on Monday the 16th of May which is which has far exceeded my early expectations of the station and uh, and the future is looking very promising there we've got gigs lined up light switch ons bonfires and stuff it's just like the old days so I'm hoping it can be uh, you know it's never going to be as big as Key 103 was back in the day but you, you know you just never know and it's good to be there part of it and part of the old team in the 30 30- five years of experience you've had in the radio industry, what advice would you give to anyone who's starting out in it? Well, you know, it's difficult these days because when I started out in radio, there was overnight shows to go on and that was the one that gave me my big break when I was at at Wrexham. So it's so difficult to get in radio now, but it's still possible. And I'd say, you know, keep at it. There's, you know, there's a a global radio academy now. Um, You can do uh, different courses so you can get involved with community radio stations now. Uh, When I started, it was hospital radio and there's still quite a few of those going. So it's like get involved at, at the grassroots level first you know learn your trade that way offer i mean i don't know how many stations let you do this now because <laughs> back in the day they used to let people come in voluntary and answer the phones on shows and stuff like that and you know just just touch base with the program control ask for advice at stations you know even just the, the bigger community radio stations get involved there and keep at it because you know there is always those vacancies there's there's a chance you you can always get noticed you know be who you are be yourself more importantly than anybody else, don't try and be someone like you've heard on the radio. Don't try and be like a comedian. I, I, I've heard of presenters taking comedians' uh, sets and uh, turn them into what sound like fantastic, hilarious links, but they've just been nicked from comedians. So be yourself. Be 100% be yourself. Talk about your life experiences and, uh, and just stick at it. And finally, Spence, who was your radio great? My radio great was Kenny Everett. Um, I remember Pete Mitchell 
Uh, God rest his soul. He did a, a video at Key 103 back in the day, and he went around asking all the radio presenters why they wanted to get into radio. And I remember him coming to me saying, Spence, hardly anybody said because of the music. And it wasn't. I didn't want to get into radio because of the music. He did. And there were presenters like him and John Peel and Janice Long and many, many more who did want to get in for the music. But I, I, I listened to Kenny Everett when I was a kid. And there wasn't much opportunity uh, because, you know, I didn't live in London. But I'd caught his uh, shows uh, over the years. He did bits and bats uh, and jingles for Piccadilly for Phil Ward and stuff like that. And he was, you know, when he went to TV as well, he was just a a legend. He just did this stuff that was so off the wall. And I thought, you know what? I would really love to be able to do that on the radio. And thanks to the radio gods and the likes of Mark Story and Keith Pringle and uh, Paul Mewis and and it was before Mike Briscoe giving me that big chance at Piccadilly. Uh, I've got to thank them for it because I I managed to do it. Well, Spence McDonald, thank you ever so much for joining me on this edition of Radio Greats Today. Luke, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Key 103's Late Night lineup: The Boys, McDonald and Maguire. Here to entertain you. Hello, I'm Spencer McDonald. Hello, I'm Mike Maguire. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, after the show every night, we finish at one o'clock in the morning. We don't go straight to bed, uh, obviously, because uh, we've got to relax, uh, wind down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try and forget if I've ever met Mike Maguire on a nightly basis. <laughs> How many bottles does that take? Uh, too, too many. <laughs> uh, always enjoy alcohol responsibly. Yes, See, we've got yeah. to say that again now yeah, on yeah, the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We seem to be endorsing alcohol abuse of any nature because no. it's bad for your kids. Yeah. Bad. He's don't right. do yeah. it. No. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I get back and I'm flicking through the late night telly, early morning telly. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, on BBC One, there's a woman in a box at the corner of the screen. It's the, it's the signing for the deaf programme. Yeah, it's a good thing, that. I like and that, good, yeah, yeah you, can, you get to see programmes you, you would normally miss. That's right. And this signing for the deaf, which is uh, good for mm-hmm. the deaf. But there's more of that than ever before, I've noticed. Yeah, there's loads of it, yeah. You've got ITV there doing it as well. Yeah, yeah, they're they're at it, yeah, the middle, yeah. Of, But they stick it all in the middle of the night. There must be loads of deaf people falling asleep at work. Because <laughs> <laughs> you've got to stay up all night. Yeah, you've got a point there, Spencer, actually. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, they may have Sky Plus or a video recording. Remembering the great DJs of radio, it's Radio Greats with the live Luke.